The Let's Talk podcast was inspired by the MISD's leadership and empowerment team, or LET for short. Our mission is to ensure that all students, regardless of race, culture, or gender, have an equitable learning environment so they can become the leaders they want to be. And now, here are your hosts, Daniel Norwood and Ted Madden. Welcome to another episode of the Let's Talk podcast. And we'll just get right into it with Russ Weeks and we'll introduce ourselves like we always do. My name is Ted Madden. I work in the communications department as a video producer and I'm a 47-year-old white man. And I'm Daniel Norwood, the social studies coordinator for the district and also one of the leads on the LET team. Uh, And I'm a 38-year-old black man. And I am Russ Weeks, the advanced academics coordinator for the district and I am a 45-year-old white man. Oh, I had the over. <laughs> <laughs> Halfway to 90 here. Isn't that crazy? I, when I turned 40, I had the realization I am as close to 20 as I am to 60. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. And now as a 47-year-old guy, the other day, I don't know why I'm thinking this. Maybe my daughter turned three. But in 18 years, it'll be 65. 65. Yeah, in 18 wanna... years ago, it doesn't seem that. You know, you start doing the math and it's a... Bad idea. Yeah, Yeah, let's not overthink it. it. Mm -mm. So, Russ, Mm -mm. just give us a sense of uh, in the context of this podcast and what we're doing, what your job is and what you're doing. Okay, so I'm over advanced academics K through 12. So anything related to gifted services, I support AP, advanced placement, um, any uh, summer camps we've done. So um, and Quest, our elementary GT programs. I I have a pretty big umbrella, so I, I mm-hmm. touch a lot of different um, areas for the district. And my focus in, in um, connection to the LUTS program is I'm really focusing on creating opportunities for every student and increasing equity in all of our programs. Can I jump in before you ask you your first question, Daniel? You but when you talk about, uh, you know, equity for all students, I'm sure that was important the whole time you've been in this position. Absolutely. So um, did it accentuate it, you know, with, with the forming of the team and, and familiarizing yourself with the LET team? How have you kind of maybe improved on things you didn't necessarily think needed improving? We were already kind of on a, a pretty focused path, Um, Before it all started, I think it was more of just an affirmation of things we're already doing and just inspiring us to to do even better and um, think about um, innovative ways that that we can continue to do better. Yeah, I definitely remember probably two or three years ago, maybe there was a conference in Houston that you actually uh, paid for us to go to that was uh, focused on equity. Can you tell us more about like what, what kind of things you see the college board doing to promote equity with students? Yes. So um, college board does provide um, conferences that uh, training, uh, bringing focus to different areas. And I, I like to provide help support and provide those opportunities for not just my department or my team, but every area in the district. And for example, this past summer, the organization that I'm a part of, TAGT, it's the Texas Association of Gifted 
and talented and provided an equity conference. It was it was virtual, but we also participated in that, just um, giving us more ideas, strategies, ways we can help promote more equity in our district. College Board puts out um, the same types of things. They do trainings and conferences for equity in different areas for students of color. Um, We even have – College Board even does – conferences that focus on Latinx community mm-hmm. or um, combinations of both and how people in leadership positions can help with that. I want to follow up with one thing because I know uh, as a student in Mesquite years ago, I remember Quest. I remember the program. Can you tell people a little bit of the history of why equity was needed in gifted and talented programs? What what historical barriers may have prevented students of color any student from actually being a part of gifted. And I know we're making changes now, but, you know, I think it's important for people to understand that there haven't always been uh, the opportunities in gifted and talented in the same way. And I think we're recognizing more of that. Absolutely. It could be from just not even accommodating uh, different languages, the home language not being considered. Um, If you're only um, administering a universal screener, in one language, or you're not considering the biases that are um, part of some of those screeners. So we've improved. Not only the screener has been improved, Mm -hmm. but considering students' home language, that could be a barrier, and really it should be something to be celebrated. Right. We also need to consider that some testing, and this goes for any testing across the board might be designed whether inadvertently or when we talk about historically on purpose with, you know, middle or upper class white people in mind. And so you have to take all of those things into consideration. One thing we've specifically done in Mesquite in the past couple of years is focus on local norms as opposed to universal norms, what that means is we're serving the Mesquite ISD population. So we shouldn't be comparing a universal screener like the cognitive abilities pet test and comparing that to students in New York or Highland Park. We should be only using local norms so that we're only looking at our own students. So that helps. Yeah. And then just – Finding more innovative ways to identify students, which is an ongoing process because we are still using universal screeners like COGAD and ITBS because if we don't, we might miss some students as well because we want to give every student those screeners, whereas there might be they, – they might not be showing up in class – in their classrooms some of the – the abilities that they might possess. A couple moments ago, you mentioned uh, better strategies that maybe you learned from this, the, that conference in Houston. I'm a specific examples kind of guy. Do you have any, uh, maybe a, one specific example about a, a different strategy you're employing? I think one of the most important strategies I've learned either through 
training at conferences or the NAEP Academy we participated in this past summer is focusing on students' assets and not focusing on deficits. I think in education and myself personally, I've been doing this for 23 years, (laughs) so I feel like we make excuses for students or focus on their deficits instead of focusing on their assets. So regardless of where a student comes from, they possess gifts that they can bring to the world or assets that can benefit themselves and others. And we we need to focus on shedding light on those and removing barriers that may not allow them to express those instead of saying, well, this student's never been out of mesquite or this student doesn't have the background knowledge that this other student has. Mm -hmm. First of all, I think we overgeneralize that. And I think a lot of our kids have been out of mesquite Mm -hmm. and we just, we just get focused on these deficits instead of thinking about the assets and the resilience that they bring to the table. Now, I know you mentioned the NAEP Academy and Mm -hmm. I've, We've seen that play out in some of our campuses. I know just offhand, Galloway was doing some really cool things about it. Uh, Mm -hmm. One of my home campuses, actually, where I went to school. Um, With the NAEP Academy, what what kind of other changes have you seen uh, from that? So NAEP is the National Alliance for Partnerships in Equity. And we have 10 campuses that participated in a three-day Micromessaging Academy this past summer. Florence, Galloway, McDonald, McCorder, Range, Rugal, Shands, Tosh, Vanston, West Mesquite. We also had a student, a teacher who participated who transferred to Lawrence. And mm-hmm. then we have a Quest teacher at Henry that also participated. So we're we're spreading it out as much as possible, which mm-hmm. is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. In the past, we've only had um, a few schools participate. North Mesquite's participated before um, West Mesquite, Vanston, and McDonald. So we're really trying to focus on the messages we send students, whether it's directly or indirectly, because we we can send microaggressions to coworkers or students, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally, doesn't really matter when it does damage. So the purpose of that academy is to discuss, have conversations, sometimes hard conversations, about the messages we send to each other and to our students. And how can we turn those into micro-affirmations and make sure that we are empowering students to be their best. One of my favorite quotes from NAEP this summer from Dibjani Biswas was, we have to make sure all of our students feel equally powerful to achieve goals. And um, that's kind of my focus this year. It was our goal um, 
in our leadership presentation this summer for ILT with administrators is to find ways to help every student achieve their goals. And that could be a a short-term goal in the classroom to do well on an assignment, or it could be a long-term life goal. And I think one of the the biggest issues in education is that sometimes those become so mutually exclusive that kids have trouble making the connection. So it's a huge it's a huge puzzle. A really cool and we're just constantly trying to empower students to feel better about themselves, to understand their role not just in the classroom, but in the world and and making it better. You were talking about the dangers of these microaggressions and the importance of communication. And I think a lot of people like me might think, hey, I'm a good person. I have good intentions. Can you talk more about the importance of giving someone like me the tools to communicate properly so I'm not just relying on my good intentions? Yes. I think one of the best ways is um, back to to Lutz. Um, We have book studies that are going on that talk about specific things that we say or do. Uh, we I participated in a book study with some of our colleagues in the ad- administration building this summer, and Daniel and Jennifer Morris led that, and it's, it's just been phenomenal. We read So You Want to Talk About Race, and it goes in very specifically to things we do or say from talking about or touching someone's hair to um, bigger things, things you might say that might exclude someone. And we do it. It's it's kind of ingrained and, and systemic, unfortunately. And just having these conversations, reading these books, this is going to help us move forward and do better. I've heard this a lot lately. Um, I attended a symposium on Friday at AM Commerce, virtually, of course. <laughs> of course. But um, Donna Ford spoke, and there were several phenomenal speakers, but there was a recurring theme of we cannot let this moment pass again, which we, we do it over and over. Something traumatic, devastating happens. And we've had, unfortunately, multiple events happen this year. And we we wake up for a little bit and we focus on it. And then we get back to the day-to-day and, and we push it aside or forget because it makes us uncomfortable or uh, we think it doesn't directly impact us. And I think we're getting to a point where we're realizing, of course, it impacts all of us. And we have to not let it be a fad, not let it be a flash in the pan. It has to be embedded in a movement to create lasting change. And we're all in it together. I know you were part of our initial admin book study on So You Want to Talk About Race. And I know also that uh, literature plays such a big part in your life just from Every, I think every time you present, you give us a new quote that makes us all say, man, you know, that's a great quote. You know, 
So, and I know you've led Abydos trainings and all of that. What role do you see literature playing, you know, book studies and that kind of thing, in making us all better teachers, not just on race, but, you know, across the board on things that, that we have to learn as teachers and educators? I'm an avid reader on a personal level first and also a professional level. I can't travel as much as I'd like, but I think the best way to travel when you can't do it physically is through books. Mm -hmm. I think if we could all travel the world and see that everyone's not the same as us, but just because we aren't the same doesn't mean we're wrong. We're all different, and that's what, in my opinion, makes the world beautiful. So when I read books, it's like traveling in my mind and out of my mind. I'm also an overthinker who gets caught inside my own head. So when I can read or focus on something outside of myself, it makes me not only healthier mentally and physically, but it it makes me a better person and it makes me more able to be a part of the the conversation. It's been said before um, in some of the other episodes of the podcast, and most specifically by my friend Amy Ann, but we need books that we can see ourselves in, but we also need to be willing to read books that we see others that are different than us. And that's so important. And I love that we are doing all this virtual learning right now in our district. I love that we are participating in book studies. Um, Amy Ann and I are also leading um, Dare to Lead by Brene Brown book study. Mm -hmm. Somebody might be rolling their eyes because I always talk about Brene Brown. (laughs) But there's such a strong connection, not just in being a vulnerable and meaningful leader, but there's so many connections to education. And if y'all don't mind, I would like to read a quick passage from that book that is so relevant always, but even more so right now with our students. She talks a lot about armor in her uh, research and how we we put on armor to protect ourselves. And I think um, we do it to make ourselves more comfortable as adults. I think sometimes our students do it as just to protect themselves as a means of survival. So I think this is great. And this is from Brene Brown's Dare to Lead. She says, as I often tell teachers, some of our most important leaders, we can't always ask our students to take off the armor at home or even on their way to school because their emotional and physical safety may require self-protection. But what we can do and what we are ethically called to do is create a space in our schools and classrooms where all students can walk in and for that day or hour, take off the crushing weight of their armor, hang it on a rack, and open their heart to truly being seen. We must be guardians of a space that allows students to breathe and be curious and explore the world and be who they are without suffocation. They deserve one place where they can rumble with vulnerability and their hearts can exhale. And what I know from the research is that we should never underestimate the benefit to a child 
of having a place to belong, even one where they can take off their armor, it can and often does change the trajectory of their life. And I think that's our our ultimate goal as educators and leaders is to create that space for our students. One of my jobs is, in my position, of course, is to do that for our gifted learners. But that should be something we should be doing for all of our learners. We want to challenge them. We want to help them learn. But we want to create spaces where they can truly belong and be the best version of themselves. And now our phenomenal teachers and administrators on campuses, they're trying to do that for students in person, and they're also trying to create that space for students online. It's a great passage. How hard is it to do in reality? If I'm a student and I take off my armor in a classroom and totally expose myself, it's not just to the teacher, it's to these other students who I'll see in the hallways and I'll see after school. So it's it's got to be a huge challenge. It's a very huge challenge, and I'm not on a campus, so, you know, it's really easy for me to say all this. But one thing I know that they've talked about on the LUTS committee, which includes students, because they've been so great to share what with us about what they're doing and learning, is that students have said just that. That's when it gets the scariest is when it's with your peers, So I don't necessarily have specific answers for that. I don't know that there are specific answers. I think what we have to do, one of the greatest things we can do as adult leaders is to be aware and to try to create the safe spaces for it to happen. And we, we have to pay attention. And we have to pay attention to every single student. Another book I read at the beginning of the summer was Jonathan Kozel's Savage Inequalities. And I was listening to it online and on my way to work one day. And it's so simple, but it really struck me. And it's just haunted me ever since is you can't lose track of any student. And we do, we lose track of lots of students. But I think when you put it in the context of reality in your day-to-day is you can't ever become apathetic or indifferent to striving to keep track of every student and striving to help every student achieve their goals, short-term and long-term. Well, we appreciate the conversation. Mm -hmm. I think this was a very good visit. Thanks for coming in. Sure. Thanks, Russ. That's Russ Weeks, Advanced Academics Coordinator for the Mesquite ISD. Next week, we'll visit with Horn Assistant Principal Terry Riley. For Daniel Norwood, I'm Ted Madden. Let's talk again next week. <laughs>